Hi guys, it's Valerie Carey and welcome back to my show. Oh my god, it's been a whole year since I said that on a recording that someone else has listened to. Um, It's been a whole year since I spoke to you guys. Actually, it's been more than a year because I think I released the last episode in July 2019. And we're right now in September, so it has been more than a year since I spoke to you. And I must say, I have missed this and I've missed you so much. I had to take a break for a while to focus on some personal things. I had a new job um, that I started in January and I uh, got a divorce as well uh, this year. And I moved out of London, currently live in Woking, which is uh, it's about 30 minutes from London. Um, I used to live in Finchley, Golders Green. So that's be- been a big change for me. Uh, and also with all that happening, there was coronavirus. So needless to say, uh, it's been a very eventful uh, couple of months. Yeah. And to add to more events, um, I've also decided to start recording um, the episodes in sort of a series. So I'm theming the episodes together. So I would say the first 14 episodes were probably around self-development. And the next couple of episodes will be called whitewashing. I think this is apt in the time of the Black Lives Matter movement. And there are a lot of topics I really wanted to talk about that I think you would find interesting, not political at all, as I, I, I try not to discuss politics publicly, as many people would know. I just keep my opinions um, about politics to myself where possible, except when I'm talking to my brother, because recently I've realized that he's um, very political. I think that's putting it mildly, to be honest. He is quite political and we end up having enough debates at home. I really don't want to have to repeat those debates um, in public in general, uh, because we are definitely on different sides of the political spectrum, especially around Trump, I think, which is really strange considering that we had the exact same upbringing, but we are so different in our thoughts. But anyway, back to the show, I've decided, as I said, to do themes. So this, the theme of the next couple of episodes will be whitewashing. Now, whitewashing is a practice where um, people change events, uh, features, uh, or uh, history to favor white people. For example, in film, this would be casting of a white performer in a role that is based on a non-white person or a fictional character regardless you know it's 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 a form of making the white race seem more superior than it really is rather than the actual factual um, representation of what's happened Uh, one of the things i do as part of my plethora of things that i get involved in is i have a couple of airbnb experiences that I run or that I used to run when I I lived in London. One of them was called uh, The Black History of Notting Hill. And one of the reasons why this was very important to me was because I lived really close uh, to Notting Hill and it used to be one of my favourite haunts. I spent a lot of time there. So the history of the place was of great interest to me. And it has such a deep African, uh, Caribbean, uh, black history, but this has um, almost been eradicated as part of gentrification. But the Notting Hill Carnival is what most people associate with Notting Hill and it is seen 
it does seem like people seem to think that um, the carnival has invaded this affluent area and basically it's causing a lot of disruption, etc., etc. When in reality, the Notting Hill Carnival was ge- was generated from the rich black culture that was Notting Hill back in the day and one of the reasons why I do that talk and I do that walk with uh, the Airbnb guests is because I enjoy sharing that rich history that a lot of people have forgotten about Notting Hill. So today's episode is going to be about Notting Hill and its black British history. So I guess the the best way to start is to give a proper history of Notting Hill and how it came to be and then uh, perhaps that would explain what I mean by the the deep black history that they had. So Notting Hill originally in say the 13th century this was just an area that was not really part of London per se it was Middlesex so at that time London hadn't been extended to that area yet um uh, at the time, Notting Hill, as you can tell by the name, it was a very hilly area and it was known for its um, brick making and pig farming industries because of the quality of the land and the soil. It had high levels of clay and therefore it was great for brick manufacturing. And of course, uh, subsequently, uh, piggeries um, could spring up on, in that area because of the type of soil and feeding they needed uh, at that time. So, Throughout the 19th century, it was referred to as the piggeries and potteries of London. So London, but not London. So it was basically an area where uh, the farmers and poor people lived. It was filled with squalor. There was literally nothing developed there as yet. Um, and if anything, it had a, a constant smell. There was the smells associated with the pig farms, especially as they would roll the slime down the hill um, when they were cleaning out the pigsties. So generally speaking, no one wanted to live there. And then uh, early 19th century, there was a landowner called uh, James Ladbrook. He began to develop his Notting Hill estate into a suburb because he had a lot of land in that area and he had this great idea to build up this um, mini city of his basically with terraced houses, pleasure grounds, etc, etc. And, you know, he was achieving that in a sense. He had a lot of money to, to put into it. And it, it started to be an area where people who maybe were just coming onto the property market at that point in time could come and buy houses from this this man. Now, uh, during the World War, he lost a lot of his properties and uh, during the Blitz, a lot of his townhouses were damaged or destroyed. So um, he sold a lot of these properties to other landlords. Um, I, I don't know the ins and outs of how that, that happened. Obviously, I wasn't there. But Basically speaking, he um, squandered his wealth and his children didn't inherit and he sold off a lot of things. So a lot of the people he sold to um, turned those really decent houses into what we refer to now as HMOs. So multiple multiple occupancy houses. So if you live in London, you know that these are houses where they're originally intended for one or two families, but then you get special permission to put additional families in where you have, say, a four-bedroom house. You have four different families, each living in one of the houses, in one of the rooms in the house, and then they all share 
the kitchen and the bathrooms, for example. So think student housing, but for families. One of these uh, landlords became quite notorious. His name was Peter Rackman, and he was famous for his slums. In fact, uh, meeting four families in a four bedroom is actually being generous because in some cases he would squeeze in 10 to 12 families in a similar similar size space um, and charge them outrageous rents. And keep in mind that this was the 19th century, so there was no running water. Sometimes you would have to um, do your, your number ones and number twos in a privy or have to take it outside. It was generally considered a ghetto, essentially. It then became one of the worst areas of London. So you would have the poorest of uh, the Londoners living there because obviously they couldn't afford to live anywhere else. Um, there were still piggeries, there were still uh, farms. Uh, there was also a lot of race horsing in that area at that time um, because John Ladbroke, who uh, Ladbroke Grove is named after him and his family, by the way, um, but because Ladbroke, um, when he was building his townhouses originally, he designed them almost in the uh, in a circular um, like the layout of the houses was in a circular path kind of like a race course today so he would build houses around that and a lot of the houses followed that concentric circle um, because he planned to race horses across the streets so those turned into actual race courses that are still present today in Notting Hill in fact when you walk down a lot of Notting Hill streets you see some of the old um, stables have been turned into refurbished houses now. Yeah, but anyway, so um, fast forward now to this guy, uh, Peter Rackman, who was now doing these things in these places that were not quite hygienic. And again, it was the poor people's area. So when the war ended um, and more of the Caribbean um, community that had come over to fight in the war, the nurses, the soldiers, etc., needed to settle in Britain and needed to settle in London. There was an incredible amount of resistance from the London population to rent accommodation to these people. In fact, I'm looking at a piece of paper right now, which is a picture of some of the posts that you would find on walls that says no Irish, no blacks, no dogs, because they considered um, Irish uh, white slaves, they considered blacks, <laughs> you know, uh, undesirables. And of course, uh, dogs were just going to add to the general unhygienic nature of the place. So it was very difficult for Caribbeans um, or Africans who had come into the United Kingdom for work to find accommodation. But in these slum areas, especially with this particular a slumlord, Peter Rackman, they found a sort of solace because he was willing to rent to them, although he was renting to them at ridiculous prices, as I said, and it was very unhygienic, but they were willing to rent to them. So, of course, you will go where you're wanted, right? So most of the Caribbean community settled in places like Notting Hill. They settled in Brixton. They settled in ports um, where their people or people like them were welcomed and Notting Hill was one of these places and they were also able to find manual labor roles uh, within the farms within the piggeries within the the um, brick making industries and because of the work ethic of the Caribbean community a lot of the current 
residents, the white people, the poorer people who were already living there, they got basically kicked out of jobs because they were not working hard enough um, or they were asking for more money. So again, exploitation of poverty um, by employers. That's that's what's happening nowadays. Cheaper labor comes in and then uh, they give those jobs to the people who have to accept less because they have no choice, i.e. the Caribbeans and Africans because no one else would hire them and continue to be exploited. So this was what was happening in Notting Hill. In fact, uh, Rackman was one of the um, founding landlords uh, for the many of the council estates. For example, the Wessex Gardens estate, which is literally 10 minutes from Grenfell Towers, which was yet another council estate, which has a different story altogether in Notting Hill history. Um, but uh, Rackman was uh, the owner of that whole estate before the right to buy scheme came into play. So a lot of people, um, a lot of white people, and just for the point, Rackman was Jewish, but neither here nor there. Um, a lot of white people were exploiting the Caribbean community at that time. But um, as part of doing so, they almost encouraged the community to form a fellowship of people in that general area um, after the world war. This obviously didn't sit well with the community and um, at that point the race riots then began. So uh, initially there were riots around the Nottingham, Nottingham area and then that floated over to the Notting Hill area um, and that was the period of time we call the race riots. So what we're seeing now with the Black Lives Matter movement, this has been going on <laughs> for the longest time. We think that this just started now. Nope, this has been an ongoing battle for decades. The race riots eventually came to a head um, in 1958 when a Swedish woman who was called um, Morrison Majit, I think, or Majbrit, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name, I'm really sorry, but Mrs. Morrison, uh, she was married to a Jamaican man. Obviously, they'd been married before they moved to the United Kingdom and she was having an argument with her husband outside the station, I think it was Ladbroke Grove or Latimer Road Station, I'm not entirely sure now, I need to check by notes um but she was having an argument and a couple of the teddy boys decided that they were going to save this white woman from this black man that was obviously attacking her again this was her husband and there was absolutely nothing on towards going on except the fact that she was white and he was black um for those of you who don't know what a teddy boy is um think about american elvis type boys with the covered hair um, and like the waist slick waistcoats, those were what we would refer to as teddy boys. So basically unemployed youths of back in the day, um, because no man who was going to be employed gainfully would have hair covered to that with pigs, um, oil and so on. Like the, it was a whole thing, but anyway, they were called teddy boys and they tended to roam about looking for trouble because they were unemployed and because they had all this pent up frustration. But anyway, the teddy boys, um, attacked this couple i think there were six of them at, in this particular event and a fight broke out the, basically they beat up not just the jamaican man um so mr morrison but when they found out that she was actually married to this man they also beat up the woman as well and she was uh, attacked and basically racially 
assaulted because she's chosen to marry this Jamaican man. And then following this, this same group of people went through the, the streets, basically looking for more men to attack. And by the end of the evening, we had 400 plus white unemployed men looking for any black man they could beat up in the area. And it went on for over a week. There were over 140 people arrested. But as part of that, so many men were injured. Uh, It was a period where you couldn't walk out of your house and not be hit by a brick or by a stone or uh, assaulted with a stick by someone on your way to work. It was just crazy. However, this week eventually ended and thankfully um, I'm glad to say that eventually some of the perpetrators were taken to court and they were given five-year sentences and were fined. This was the very first fine of its kind where a racial, racial attack was met with a substantial fine and prison punishment so it was a big occasion and thus a celebration needed to be had and guess what celebration that was it was an indoor carnival and that then ended up being the notting hill carnival Yes, that's right. You heard me correctly. The Notting Hill Carnival was originally a celebration to mark the ruling by this court um, after the race riots. So it was a celebration for the community um, just to appreciate that we could walk the streets now and we couldn't be attacked without someone at least paying for it. So this was held in uh, 1959. Uh, It was organized by uh, an activist and journalist. Her name was Claudia Jones. She decided that she wanted to have this celebration and she had an agreement with the BBC to televise this as a way to promote race relations. So, of course, uh, non-black people were invited and this was held in the St. Pancras Town Hall and it was a huge success. It had several thousands of people attend. People who could not come to the indoor celebration would have a party outside their house and every year after that they had a celebration on the same day just to mark the event. Now as this grew and people began to participate more and more in this event in the Notting Hill area, it then began to become more modern. So fast forward now to 1966 in August, uh, Ron Laslett, who was uh, also another organizer um, at that point, decided to have a festival that was outdoors and it became a street party. And they teamed up with Russell Henderson, who at that time had a street band that had played at the earlier Claudia Jones events, and they decided to go on a walkabout. So basically, um, Russell Henderson got another steel band to play with them. So there were two steel bands playing across the streets uh, in Notting Hill area, walking from street to street so everyone could enjoy the benefit of the music and whoever wanted to follow them to participate in that could follow them. And that's how the steel band competition then came about because by 1970 this was a regular thing and they had over 600 700 regular spectators that would follow them each year with the steel bands now obviously we know that Norton Hill Carnival is the second largest uh, carnival in the world and over half a million people partake in this festival every year. I think this year has been the only year it's been cancelled because of coronavirus and even then they did a 
a virtual event uh, we are looking forward to welcoming it back next year so for all those people who think that Notting Hill Carnival just is just this party that has just been ongoing for years and years no it's been a celebration of the landmark court victory that we had after the race riots now Notting Hill is not just about the Notting Hill Carnival did you also know that it was the location for the infamous mangrove restaurant which was on all saints road in notting hill so this was open in 1968 and it was owned by a civil rights campaigner called frank critchlow now frank was best known obviously for his food but he also used his uh, restaurant as a base for the british black panther movement so they would meet here every every other week and they would plan their uh, events at this restaurant and as a result he was raided multiple times by the police trying to break up this these uh, activities by these activists as a matter of fact he was raided 12 times between 1968 and 1970 uh, all looking for drugs uh, of which they didn't find any um, and in response to this uh, intense harassment Critchlow filed a complaint with the race relations board citing racial discrimination now this trial went to court and it lasted for 55 days I think and it was a, another landmark case because he won and I think he won 50,000 pounds then uh, in compensation but it was incredible that it even happened in the first place because the police tried everything from intimidation and harassing witnesses to just a general um, harassment of the the families of the mangrove nine so this trial when it did go to court um attracted so much attention not just from um, the general population of the united kingdom but from the black community because this trial was basically saying the police can be racially uh, discriminating against black people and we won this case so this was the first time a british court had acknowledged that um, there could be racial discrimination and wrongdoing by the london police uh, and just to give a bit of background on the actual mangrove nine um when people began to protest against uh, the Critchlow harassment. Uh, a good number of them marched to the local police stations to complain and protest. And nine of them, uh, nine of the leaders were arrested, uh, charged with incitement to riot. So uh, Critchlow obviously supported their case because obviously they were protesting for him. And the Black Panther um, movement and group were the ones who organized this protest in the first place. And a lot of their uh, members were part of the protesters and the nine were part of the Black uh, Panther movement as well. So when this case was won in our favor, essentially, um, it was a, a big thing for the Black community in general. And I, th I believe from what I read um, that Critchlow had a huge celebration to mark this after the ruling was given. And his restaurant was generally popular anyway. So even if this hadn't happened, it would have been popular among the black community because he had very famous customers come um, to his restaurants on All Saints. He had Jimi Hendrix, Nina Simone, Bob Marley. We had um, Norman Beaton. There were so many key um, black people that thought of that place as home it was their base when they came to London so to say that Notting Hill wasn't filled with the power of black history is, is just it's it's 
humorous to me today when with gentrification and everything that's happened in Notting Hill, people forget the incredible history it already has. Now, of course, in Notting Hill, um, it's one of the most expensive areas of London in general. It's now in the borough of Kensington and Chelsea. It's a ridiculous amount of money required to actually buy a house in Notting Hill now. Uh, It's also very popular with the Instagram generation because it has one of the most beautiful streets in London. Its colours are so appealing that one of the streets has been named the most Instagram streets in London by Instagram. Um, Ironically, it's just off All Saints Road as well. And if anyone who has walked down any of the streets in Notting Hill will know why um, this is the case because the pastel colours just scream at you beauty. But these colours, this vibrancy was built out of black history and we shouldn't forget that. So that's what this episode was about. Uh, As I said, my theme uh, this season is on whitewashing and I hope I've shared some knowledge about Notting Hill and its history. So I am going to leave some links uh, below to more reading on the mangrove line and on general Notting Hill history. I'm also going to leave links to my Airbnb experiences. Now that COVID is um, getting more and more under control, I might start to put in more dates. So if you're interested in having a one-to-one tour with me or you are interested uh, in sharing this for me, uh, I will leave the links below as well. I generally offer tours on the weekends across Notting Hill, Brixton and Central London. So that's it for me for this episode. Um, Also, on a personal note, I want to thank everyone that has been patient with me and I hope to continue giving you episodes every week going forward. That's it for this week. It's the Valerie Carey Show. Bye bye.